If a Christian doesn't pray about heaven, that's a remarkable lack. Who ever heard of exiles not thinking about home? Now, I said, that's exactly what the rosary is. We are in a new moment of time and a new moment of space. So we keep saying to our Lord and to the Blessed Mother, I love you, I love you. That's the Holy Rosary. That's the Catholic faith. The whole Catholic faith is in it. Welcome you all to another Daily Decade, your rosary on the road. I have a prayer request today from SB, who is uh, having a little trouble uh, with uh, his little infant. He and his wife are having trouble with their infant, uh, who appears to be ill. They can't track down exactly what the nature of the illness is. It doesn't seem like a terribly serious illness. They're not in great fear of the child's life, uh, but... Uh, it is a, a sickness that seems to be making it a little bit hard to, to nourish the poor little thing. So I'd like to pray for them, pray for that baby, uh, and uh, uh, pray for their ability to, to relax and rest and sleep, something that's very difficult when you have a baby, something I have a lot of experience with. I know exactly how they feel. And I, I know how it feels to have a baby who's sick, especially with a sickness that you can't quite put your finger on what it is, it can be very upsetting. My wife entertained the strangest ideas about how sick the children could get if they were even just a little bit sick. It automatically, she, it was like walking around being married to WebMD. She had all sorts of horrific ideas about what, oh no, what could be wrong? They, they, they must have a, a tumor or something. Brain tumor was the one she always used to come up with. She still comes up with that one on occasion. So it, it's easy to let yourself get carried away, and I'd like to pray for calm for uh, SB and for his wife and for the perfect healing of, of their little baby. You know, if you have a prayer request of any kind, and, you know, a lot of people would say that a, a sick child is hardly a prayer request. I don't care. I think it's a marvelous prayer request. I think anything that allows us to stand in front of the throne of God and tell him you have all the power and you could change anything in the world if you will it to be please change this that's an incredibly powerful thing it recognizes the omnipotence of God so I think it's a very appropriate prayer and I think any one of those kinds of prayers are and I encourage you to go ahead and send those in you can send them to the email that's the best place to send them that's requests at protonmail.com Decade is D-E-C-A-D-E requests in the plural at protonmail.com you can also drop us a line over at uh, I guess drop drop us a line refers to mail that's a malapropism I've been saying that for weeks you can comment on praytherosaryeveryday.wordpress.com or where we're syndicated at exodusamericanus.com you can also send a message to at the daily decade over on Gab, or get a hold of me directly, Mario Goretti, at nobodyhasthe.biz. Now, you should be able to see the way that that's spelled. It's just, it's Maria Goretti, but it's with an O, Mario Goretti. 
because she's one of our patrons. So send it in to one of those places, and I'll be delighted to pray for you. In fact, I want to. It would be more than a delight to send those in so that I have some some prayers to say. (laughs) For now, I'd like to go ahead and turn our hearts and our minds to to God, get our rosaries out, and uh, I'll pray for S.B. and for his wife for the healing of their infant and for calm in their minds and hearts. Today is a Friday, second Friday in Advent, so we are going to pray in Latin. In nomine Patris, et Fidei, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in Ceno et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimiti nobis debita nostrum, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostri. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostri. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostri. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. 
Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri, de Filio, Spiritui Sancto. Sicurat principio et nunc et semper et secula seculorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita dulcedo et spes nostri, salve. Ad te clamamus, exulis filia evi, Ad te suspiramus, gementes et plentes in hac lac romanum, vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuas misericordes oculos ad nos converte. Et iesum, beatum fructum, ventris tui nobis postoc exilium ostende. O clemens, o pia, o dulce virgo Maria. Ora pro nobis, sancta de genetrix, ut digni officiamur promissionibus Christi. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. To the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Saint Therese, little Saint Therese, You suffered much for our Lord in your life, and we humbly beg thy intercession as one who, when alive, was familiar with great illness, that this illness, great or small, might depart from this infant child, and perfect healing should come upon him. You knew calm in the love of Christ. By your intercession, may the servant of God, S.B., and the handmaiden of God, his wife, have calm and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ, that their whole family may grow in faith and peace and calm, turned towards his face, from which shines all blessings. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost. One God, world without end. Amen. For all of us in our daily trials, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. <laughs> Amen. Sacratissimo Coriezo, miserere nobis. Sacratissimo Coriezo, miserere nobis. Sacratissimo Coriezo, adveniat regnum tuum. In nomine Patris, Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I thought St. Therese might... Originally I was going to say St. Philomena, but Saint Therese, for some reason St. Therese popped into my head at the last minute. She's been on my mind a lot recently, been popping up left and right in places that I least expect her. I notice I, I try to 
call up saints that I think will be appropriate. And the issue is, is that I have a somewhat of a limited pool to draw on because of the saints that I myself appeal to. You know, I, I think that we actually have every uh, every Christian has something of a Dunbar number for the saints with which they uh, uh, associate regularly, to whom they have a devotion, and. It's a probably a little bit lower than the actual Dunbar number. I think the Dunbar number is, what, 152? That's how many people that you can know well enough to uh, regard as friends. But uh, when it comes to saints, I feel like that number must be a little bit lower because we spend so much time and energy on them when we do pray to them. For my own part, I keep coming back to the same one. So if it seems like I'm being redundant with the saints that I'm reaching out to, it's not because I have a limited knowledge of them, although I do know fewer saints than I should. We all do. We all know fewer saints than we should. Uh, it comes down to this, these are the, those are the saints I'm devoted to. I guess you learn a little bit about me. But uh, I'd love to expand that particular repertoire. So if you have any saints that you regularly go to for one reason or another, you know, write it in to, uh, to the email address. You know, all the better for us to share those things around with one another. So today we are turning our attention to the crucifixion, which is the last of the sorrowful mysteries and follows up on yesterday's commentary on the way of the cross and the will of God active in our lives. The crucifixion itself is the pivot point. The cross is the axis upon which the entire Christian world turns. It is, no exaggeration, it is Christianity. Crucifixion is our faith. Everything that makes our faith what it is, everything important to our faith, the most central doctrines of our faith, are all contained there in that moment, that act, that event of the crucifixion. It's the single most important thing in Christianity. Any form of Christianity that discounts the crucifixion that discounts the sacrifice of Christ is not Christianity. All that namby-pamby sort of moral teacher garbage, Jefferson and his chronological Bible and all of that, that's not Christianity. It's too soft. Christianity is not a soft religion. Christianity is hard as nails. And Christ demonstrates that in his crucifixion, because he himself is that way. It's striking to me when I read, and I can't remember when I read it, but traditionally it's understood and received that the great cry given out by Christ when he gives up the ghost is a statement on his part of his power and his uh, unwillingness before death. And what I mean by that is not his unwillingness to die, but rather his unwillingness to be conquered by death. And by his will, as we talked about yesterday, he is able to 
avoid being conquered by death. He conquers death. St. John Chrysostom talks about this in his Paschal Sermon. He talks about death uh, having received uh, life is overthrown. And St. Paul, he draws on St. Paul, of course, death where is thy sting? So Christ in this great in this final moment wills to die. And by willing to die, he overcomes death, conquers it completely. It has no power over him. And that great cry is his last cry of masculine willpower upon the cross. It's an incredibly powerful scene. But I want to go back to the very beginning of the crucifixion. Because I think there's something even more powerful to be contained there. There's a beautiful devotion, and if you don't do it, I really recommend it. I'm a deep lover of the Stations of the Cross, of course, but uh, in Lenten time, and really in any penitential season, when we think about the crucifix and the crucifixion, uh, the seven last words of Christ is a devotion that comes to mind as being particularly worthy and, uh, and really quite helpful, actually in understanding what's going on on the cross. Now, I include these in my own rosary, and I can recommend it to you as well. I split them up and spread them out over nine beads and then devote the tenth bead to the uh, last cry of Christ, uh, where he cries out and gives up the ghost. That's the tenth Hail Mary. The other way that I do it is I split the, the seven up over the space of nine beads, which is uh, much less difficult than you might think. Seven to nine is only two, so you really only have to split two up. But anyway, the very first thing that Christ does, the very first thing that happens when he's crucified, he doesn't say a word to any of his executioners, doesn't say a word really along his way. He stops on one occasion. The only words that we have Christ saying on his way to be crucified is his counsel to the women of Jerusalem telling them to weep rather for their own children uh, no doubt foreseeing what these the horrors that these women would commit when the Romans besieged Jerusalem in 70 AD there's stories of, of now the stories may be exaggeration I think they come from Josephus but uh, of the city being starved to death and women devouring their own infants uh, horrible demonic scenes out of the city of Jerusalem as it's besieged by uh, by Rome. For the life I'm trying to think of who it was that... I always get them all mixed up. There's Tiberius, Titus, and, and Trajan, and I always get the three of them mixed up, such that I can never remember which one actually besieged Jerusalem. I want to say it was Titus, but I might be wrong about that. Anyway, uh, the Romans... They were no strangers to violence themselves. Obviously, they engaged in the crucifixion, and everything that they did to Christ was really quite standard. For there was nothing. We look at it and we say, it, we look on in horror at everything that was done to Christ in the Passion. But the thing to bear in mind is that the reason why it's horrifying is not necessarily what's being done itself, but rather to whom it is being done. Christ is perfectly innocent in every way. He is the perfect victim. And as such, to see this, you recognize the enormity of what is being done 
because not only is it an innocent man who's undergoing these torments, but it's God himself. And the result is that you reflect on it and you see just how horrific the crucifixion is. If you're not paying attention, though, to whom it is happening, uh, you can get rather caught up in just how horribly uh, brutal all of those punishments are. Especially in an age like ours where such brutality is so far removed from our mental landscape. But the Romans, this is all pretty standard practice for the Romans. They're a violent people. I mean, they engage in the exposure of infants, just like most ancient cultures. They uh, engaged in, I mean, these are people who would go to feasts and eat so much that they had a room dedicated to expurgating themselves, purging themselves, so that they could go back and eat more. Uh, really, they, they were truly uh, a people whose god was their belly. And, so, and the Romans, despite all of this, when they saw what was done in the city of Jerusalem during the sack of that city, they were horrified. They were absolutely, they, they were thrown off by the violence and the, and the horror of it all. And they had the same reaction to Carthage, where they worshipped the demon Moloch under a different name. So if it was bad, if it was so bad that even the Romans were sickened, you can imagine how bad it was. And that's the only thing that Christ actually says on his way to the cross. Now he says a lot more once he's on the cross. And the first thing that he does as he's being crucified, this final example, this pivot point of the entire of our entire religion and everything he's trying to teach us. He turns to his Roman executioners and he says, Father, forgive them. For they, they know not what they do. And how could they know, being pagans? They really had no conception of what was going on around them. To them, this was just some random rabble-rouser that the mob seemed to have turned against and that their boss wanted dead in the Roman fashion. And so they made it a Roman fashion. But something must have not sat well with them when they crucified this man and he said, and he would speak words like that. And the thing to bear in mind is that, you know, obviously Latin is the language that the Roman Empire enforces on everybody. You have to, if you're a province of the Roman Empire or if you're a client state, you have to speak Latin, you have to use Roman money. These are the two most important elements of Roman rule. And the reason for that is because it's impossible to administrate a place, to administer over a place in which your language is not spoken. If you don't have an official language, your entire government apparatus has no real power. So that's an important point. And he says these words, he offers a prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He starts the entire crucifixion with a prayer. And that's incredibly important. It highlights the necessity of beginning every task that we undertake prayerfully. It focuses our attention on a life of prayer. Christ spent his entire life with prayer. He started with prayer and fasting in the desert. He prays before the Passion begins. He prays at the beginning of the crucifixion and sets an example for us of suffering and prayer 
these two things that are inextricably linked, you can't take them apart from each other, and they're at the very heart and soul of the entire religion. Prayer and suffering. Fasting and almsgiving, these are sacrifices that are meant to bring a small form of suffering, but really it's the bearing of suffering sent by God that gives, brings us to sainthood. And the more we suffer in this world, the less attached to it we become, the more we are drawn towards our heavenly home. And that's really the essence of the crucifixion. We are raised up in suffering. And we begin the entire thing with prayer. That interior, that's, that's the element, that's the essence of the interior life that Father Shatar talks about in his book that, we've been, that I've been reading. Uh, and it's the essence of everything that makes our religion what it is. Prayer, suffering. That's Christianity. That's the crucifixion. That's the essence of everything that Christ has come to teach us. It's no surprise that a lot of apostates and infidels look at Christ and say, well, you must have been a student of the Buddha. But the Buddha wants to get us away from suffering. His whole ideal is to detach oneself so that you don't suffer anymore. Christ doesn't teach us that. He doesn't teach us to flee suffering. He says, lean into it. This world is full of entropy and decay. It's falling down around you. Lean into the walls and bring it down. Lean into the cross. Because the only way out is through, as the saying goes. The only way out of the suffering of this world is through that suffering exemplified on the cross. And that's why Christ isn't a teacher. That's why Christ isn't a leader. That's why Christ isn't a miracle man. Because the example that God sets for us when he takes on human flesh is that of prayer and suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, the fulfillment of our responsibilities, what's the second thing that he does? He looks at the, he, he, first he prays, then he shows pity on the thief next to him who begs him for help. Looks at him and says, I know who you are and what you are. I know what you can do. And I know what I deserve. And that last one is the most important, by the way. And then immediately, after attending to what's immediately in front of him, because that's what we need to do in our daily lives. We go to what's immediately in front of us. He turns to his lasting responsibility. And he looks at his mother, and he puts her in the care of St. John the Apostle, because she has no one to care for her now that her son is leaving her. He looks to his social responsibilities, and to his family, moreover. That's the last command that he gives, the last command given by God in the flesh on earth relates to his family to his blood he doesn't say anything about Joseph Joseph is dead and buried it relates to his blood his mother and she makes sure that she is taken care of that's his last will and testament 
that moment, behold thy mother. Don't know that anyone has ever had so short a will on the planet. And after that, he turns to the great work of the crucifixion. That's everything else that's there. The departure of the beatific vision. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? But also a reference to the psalm that demonstrates that he is the Messiah. The end of his thirst. The declaration that his work is done. And the passing into the hands of God marching on the neck of death itself that's the that's the crucifixion that's everything about the faith in a nutshell and so my prayer today is that we draw from the crucifixion the example that is set for our daily lives that we suffer in the manner that Christ suffered inwardly on the cross that we begin all undertakings all suffering with prayer and that we follow the example set by Christ in his death to the fulfillment of the commandment that he gave to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost Amen The moon is the symbol of Our Lady. The moon is for those in darkness. And I think in a special way for sinners. So that if we but look to her, who is the moon, and derives all light from the sun, they would never fall into an abyss. Now this is the rosary.